0: The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: Welcome to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers, Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler share with you the pathway to becoming a top leader in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler.
2: Welcome to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. I'm your co-host, Dr. Kathy Greenberg, and we have Dr. Relly Nadler with us today, and we are your leadership development coaches, and we have helped thousands of leaders and executives perform in the top 10%. Today's show, I'm honored to say, features my co-host, Dr. Relly Nadler, and Relly's new book, Leading with Emotional Intelligence, Hands-On Strategies for Building Confident and Collaborative Star Performers. You know, Relly and I want to bring you the best in current leadership topics, interviews, with proven leaders, and provide evidence-based best practices to help you develop more leaders in your organization and be your best. We know that leaders are the heartbeat of the organization, but most leaders will underestimate just how much influence they have over others, and as a result, we all know, they end their teams can underperform. But doing just a few things differently can dramatically improve your performance and your organization, and we're going to talk about that today with Rally Nadler. What you'll learn in all of our shows is something about how to develop more leaders in your organization, what happy companies know about performance, emotional intelligence, and positive Uh, psychology strategies to be your best, and brain and neuroscience contributions to top performance, generation and gender differences that make a world of difference in your success, and work-life balance practices to be your best, and of course, strategies for managing your boss and yourself. And um, before uh, we bring Relly on, I just want to make sure that everybody knows that our shows are always based on the science of leadership. And leadership development is very key for all of us because leaders have 50 to 70% influence over the climate of their teams. And as we all know, emotions are contagious. And therefore, our leaders are the emotional thermostat for their teams, and that means you as well. The key to being a star performer, someone who's in the top 10%, is emotional intelligence. And we know that as leaders move up the corporate ladder, 80% of their competencies for success are in the emotional intelligence domain. We also know that leaders in the top 10% can produce twice as much revenue to the organization as managers below them. When coaching is added to training, a person's actual productivity can be enhanced by 88% while training alone is only a 22% increase. So you can see how these micro-initiatives can have great macro-impacts. If you'd like to know more about Relly Nadler, who's our guest today, you can reach him at www.truenorthleadership.com for emotional intelligence books, free assessments, tools, speaking keynotes, leadership, and coaching boot camps. And if you want more about myself, Dr. Kathy Greenberg, and our coaching programs on the science of happiness, go to www.h2cleadership.com for our happiness books, tools, speaking keynotes, leadership, and coaching services. Well, I guess you can tell I'm very excited about having Relly be my guest today on our show. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Dr. Relly Nadler, let me give you some background. Relly is a psych D MCC, and that means he's not only a psychologist, he's also a master certified coach, one of only about 700 globally. He's been doing executive coaching since 1995 and is a faculty member at the College of Executive Coaching. Relly is the president and CEO of True North Leadership, Inc., an executive and organizational development firm. He brings his expertise in emotional intelligence to all of his keynotes, consulting, coaching, and training. Relly has designed and delivered many multi-day executive boot camps for high achievers in Fortune 500 companies. Relly has coached CEOs, presidents, and their staff, developed and delivered innovative leadership programs for such organizations as Anheuser-Busch, BMW, EDS, MCI, DreamWorks Animation, and Vanguard Health Systems, and created and facilitated team trainings for Comerica Bank, America Honda, and General Motors Defense. He is the author of four best-selling leadership and team performance books and is a sought-after speaker and consultant on leadership, emotional intelligence, team building, executive coaching, and experiential learning. Relly's newest and fifth book, Leading with Emotional Intelligence, is published by McGraw-Hill. It's a 2011 release, but it's out now, and you can get it at bookstores and from Amazon. It contains over 100 strategies on how to raise the EI for leaders and their teams. You can get free EI assessments and action plans by going to leadingwithei.com or Relly can be reached at www. truenorthleadership.com. Welcome to the show, Relly.
0: Well, Kathy, this is great. Thank you very much. It's fun to be able to talk about uh, this newest book with you, and it's actually fun to talk with you at any time.
2: Uh, (laughs) I like that. I like that. So I want to ask you, for those who may have not heard your answer to this, perhaps on other programs, as you know, we like to start every show with a little personal nugget about our executives. And you must also follow in the same footsteps for my benefit, as sure. well as those who are listening. I want to know, who is it that influenced you and your
3: career?
0: Well, I think like a lot of folks that we interviewed, Kathy, uh, you know, let me just start with my uh, mother and father. My father was a uh, businessman, owned a business, um, manufacturing shoes. And so I kind of grew up in a, in a family business. And uh, he was, you know, very organized. One of his favorite things was um, plan your work, work your plan, and was pretty much of an entrepreneur, very, very, very creative. And I would say just in numerous ways, he's been a, you know, he has been a huge influence, you know, on me in, in his way. So he kind of influenced me maybe around the head. And then my mom, uh, who was... High in emotional intelligence, very caring, influenced me around the heart. So I think between the two of them, I really kind of got the best of the of the head and the heart. Uh, my mom was very compassionate. She would, she was one of the moms where at any hour of the day my friends could come over the house and she'd fix us food and you know she was always very very gracious and you know it was a house that everybody wanted to be and she spent hours and hours driving around and even now with my kids i end up you know thinking of her when i'm driving my kids around so those are two key people and then i think the other kind of this combination of the head and the heart i had a master's program which was called Confluent Education, and it really was early EI, this was in the mid-70s, and George Brown was the person who founded the program. Confluence is where thinking and feeling come together, and so a lot of the education was all about the affective domain, and I think early on, I was like the youngest person in the program, and I remember talking to George and, and about my uh, master's thesis at that time, and I was Wasn't sure what to do, and he could see my high anxiety, and it was just one of these moments. He uh, was in the hallway at University of California, Santa Barbara, and he said, uh, he could see my anxiety. He said, "Uh, give me your hand a second. And I go, what? And he grabbed my hand, and he uh, put his hand on top, and he said, I'm giving you the seal of approval. Whatever you don't know, you're going to be able to figure out, and you're going to do a great job with it. And then he turned around and walked away. And I was like standing there kind of mystified, going, what, what, what just happened? But it was very, very affirming uh, in that way. And so he's had a great influence on me. And then I think the last folks are just some, some people in the field that had certainly influenced my work were uh, Daniel Goldman, of course, and then I think earlier on some of the work of Peter Senge in the Fifth Discipline. That's a, that's a
2: really amazing background and certainly gives us, some insight into the people who have influenced your thinking around emotional intelligence. So this is, um, boy, your fifth book? Yes. And I guess many of our readers would like to know, you've had Leaders Playbook out for a while, and it's been very successful. So why did you write Leading with Emotional Intelligence as a a kind of follow-on to that book?
0: Well, a couple of reasons, Kathy. Uh, One is to update Leader's Playbook and to add to some of the competencies. So, you you know, initially, I wanted to do a book on each of the competencies, depending on the model. You know, EI has 18 different competencies. Leader's Playbook covered about five of them. And then I was approached uh, by McGraw-Hill and said, you know, we'd love to purchase your book and, um, and to carry it. And so with that, it gave me an opportunity to upgrade it and to um, get some more updated uh, profile, so uh, what 's different in uh, leading with emotional intelligence is this whole aspect of emotional self control so that this competency um, is really important and it allowed me to bring in some of the stuff that you and I are interested in the brain neuroscience and the idea of uh, you know when people get hijacked that whole aspect of uh, brain neuroscience and emotional self control and then, what are some of the the um, keys to allow, to allow someone to uh, move forward? So each of the chapters in um, Leading with Emotional Intelligence, I've interviewed somebody, and that's what's called the star secret, and try to glean from them what do they do. And then, uh, then I have what's called the Coach's Corner, which is a series of things that either I uh, do as a coach and have either created or just researched, and trying to bring. Each of those things. So that's where the over, and right now I, I counted it up, there's 108 strategies. And one of the things that uh, is true, there's too much in this book. And
2: <laughs> I'm laughing because we're going to come right back after a break, but the funniest part about this is you're the master of derailers, and one of them is adding too much value. So on that <laughs> note, we're going to go to a break, and we'll be right back. This is Leadership Development News.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
4: Let Kathy Greenberg teach you and your team how to harness the power of happiness to generate even greater success and satisfaction at work. Did you know by applying coaching and the new science of happiness, you can improve your return on people anywhere from 50% to 350%. At H2C, we believe in both a return on people, that's ROP, as much as return on investment, or ROI. Kathy Greenberg, New York Times bestselling author of What Happy Working Mothers Know and internationally acclaimed What Happy Companies Know, is the leading global expert on coaching combined with the new science of happiness and originator of the happiness equals profits business formula. Kathy's Company, H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People, provides practical knowledge for individuals and entire companies to maximize their potential in as little as one day.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. 472-5790. 472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show.
2: Welcome back to Leadership Development News. I'm very excited and privileged to be interviewing my co-host, Dr. Raleigh Nadler, on his new brilliant book, Leading with Emotional Intelligence. And Rally, right before we went to the commercial break, we were having a little Giggle, or at least I was, about the fact that um, you are the expert on the star performer and derailleur exercises, and one of those uh, derailleurs is adding too much value, and you were saying you have over 108 tools, so maybe we can pick it up. Yeah,
0: there. well, and person I have someone doing marketing now, where this is one of the marketing tags, and I said, there's too much in this book, it really is, and I think I saw it, it's almost like a, kind of like an encyclopedia in a way, Of I just wanted to have a place where I could put a lot of those practices, but I would think for our listeners and anybody, any reader, if you pick the five or ten key areas out of those 108, and you said, okay, for my particular focus and for me to be in the in the top 10%, here's what's most important to me. It could be developing others, it could be teamwork, it could be confidence, you know, it could be communication there's a series of tools, that would be the key, is is picking the five or ten that's going to help you, and then I think it would really make a a big difference.
2: And one of the things I'd love for you to do during the time that we have, because I think most people learn by experience and by stories, Mm -hmm. if you could talk about some of the examples from famous business leaders and politicians who you uh, kind of pull out in story form in the book, and then maybe talk about some of the emotional intelligence gaps and why em- emotional intelligence was so important to their success. I think that would be fascinating.
0: Okay, good, good. Well, thank you. Um, let me just first, for the listener, I'll give kind of a brief, brief definition of what is emotional intelligence and get into the kind of the gap in the, in the profiles. So what is it? It's understanding yourself and managing yourself, and if that's the personal side, and then understanding others and managing others. So I remember Kathy when I first heard it. It reminded me of back of my Confluent Ed program in the 70s. Said, "Oh wow, that's this is kind of revisited but updated." And then why is it important now? I talk about this in the book that there's a kind of a double whammy going on. You know, a chaotic uh, leadership double whammy. First, you know, we're in the midst of the greatest recession that we've had. And the country lost 8.4 million jobs between 2007 and 2009. And so that's one of the things, you know, of all these losses. But on top of that, so that's one side of the double whammy. On the other side of this recession is 40% of the American workforce are going to be eligible to retire in the next couple of years. And we're going to lose 10 million jobs. So one, we're losing actual brains. Uh, and then we're also losing people who have high emotional intelligence. So the baby boomers have been known to have more emotional intelligence, and so we're um, losing jobs. And then the people who are going to retire, were losing emotional intelligence. So that's why there's a kind of a gap coming up, and why it's important at this point, you know, to have more of our new leaders, you know, learning uh,
4: emotional intelligence.
2: Now, let me just clarify so that I'm straight on this, and our audience is straight yeah. on this. I understand by the year 2012, the latest baby boomers, who are going to be 65, will be retiring en masse, Mm -hmm. and as you were describing these baby boomers, they have a higher level of emotional intelligence than our current pool of workers, and so their brains, essentially, leaving the workplace, are going to leave a huge gap Mm -hmm. in our capacity for emotional intelligence.
0: And so that, that's exactly right, Kathy. And, you know, you may ask, well, so is that true, or why do the baby boomers have more emotional intelligence? And, you know, I know with your daughter and my two kids, you kind of see with each generation they're spending more and more time either in front of a computer screen or on a phone. And so they're not talking with with people. One of the, uh, my colleagues was telling me how, Her daughter, she was in the car with her daughter and her friend, and that they were driving, and her daughter in the front seat was texting to her daughter in the back seat. Now, maybe there was some kind of secret thing, but they weren't talking. They were texting in the same car. And I think for every hour that someone's in front of a screen or a phone, that's not an hour that they're having a plan, how am I going to communicate? It's not an hour that they're saying, What's the reaction to my communication? Did it get delivered? Oh, I notice a frown on them. It's an hour that they're not dealing with conflict. It's an hour that they're not trying to gauge, you know, how do I respond to what they're saying. So there's just less practice time, you know, dealing with this emotional intelligence domain.
2: And not only is that critical, but I think one of the things our audience needs to understand is uh, this generation, because of its lack of personal interaction versus that technology has you know suffered a great deal of distraction or shall we say mentality um, and uh, they try to multi-process which also causes a lack of focus and emotional intelligence really requires being present doesn't
0: it exactly yeah really kind of staying in the moment in the self-control chapter there is some kind of mindfulness type of uh, exercises and and uh, maybe what I can do is tell you a little bit about some of the profiles and then if we want to spend some yeah. time getting into some of the actual tools.
2: Yeah, I, I I know that you do have a couple of exciting leaders in your book that you've done some real yeah. well, investigation on, like Jeffrey Imelt and, and Jack you know, and Jack Welch's footsteps and Meg Whitman. So let, let's go wherever you yeah. are comfortable.
0: Well, the reason I pulled them out, Kathy, was I think is to try to make the this emotional intelligence competencies more grounded. and And so these folks... Um, you know, I've, I, I researched and, and saw some things about how do they uh, show emotional intelligence in action. So, Jeff B. CEO of GE, took over for Jack Welch. He was almost fired early on in, in the early 90s for underperforming. And he talks about how in GE, he was a dead man walking. So, and, this
2: was a guy who was underperforming before he took over the CEO role.
0: Yes, so this was way before, because Jack Welch was still in there, and so he was kind of, you know, the GE is known for their their training, and um, so he was an up-and-comer, but he underperformed, and he tells a story how he uh, was at a a meeting and was trying to escape uh, because he knew his numbers had underperformed for the division that he had, and Jack Welch came. And grabbed them. So he was trying to get out, you know, out of the meeting and go up to his room. And Jack Welch grabbed them in the elevator and just said, you know, you know, I'm one of your biggest fans, but if you don't really pull this together, you know, you're going to be gone. And so, kind of that tough, direct feedback, you know, uh, from Jack Welch. And that's what he was saying that he was a dead man uh, walking. And so he really portrayed this idea of adaptability. And, you know, what did he really need to do to pull himself up, pull his unit around. And then when he actually became CEO, you know, he's done an incredible job. And one of the things that GE is known for, and Jack Welch passed this on to Jeffrey Immelt is training and development. So um, they spend, you know, over a billion dollars uh, a year on training and development. and. Jeffrey, just like Jack Welch did, think about this for their listeners, he spends 30% of his time teaching and coaching. And I I know, and it can be interesting, Kathy, your feedback on CEOs um, that you deal with and I deal with, 30% of the time, supposedly Jack Welch spent 50% of his time teaching and coaching, that their job as a leader is to teach and lead others.
2: Right, right. And that's an important component that shifted in the 90s, and great friends like uh, Noel Tishy, who uh, was one of the folks that led this effort at GE, along with uh, our friend uh, John O'Neill, uh, were, if you will, legendary pioneers in getting folks like Jack Welsh to spend the time as leaders and emotionally engage with their teams to improve performance. Right
0: well and, and taking from jack uh, jack welch jeffrey amont now and this is you know more recently he gave a he gave a speech where i read the uh, transcript talking about what's what's his key thing he's focusing on now listening so here's here's a you know president of one of the biggest corporations in the world and from his personal development he wants to work on his listening and he realizes that he's not as good a listener as he can be so what does he do he schedules a saturday meeting Um, every Saturday with one of his top 25 people. So he rotates them around. And they really are sitting down as friends, but he really wants to hear what these people have to say.
2: Outstanding.
0: So that's just a good example of some of the EI competencies.
2: So Uh, let's talk about an exciting uh, situation, at least from a woman's vantage point here, and that's Meg Whitman. You know, here's a lady um, who was the uh, founder of eBay, uh, and um, has a great service orientation, and now she's running in the gubernatorial race in California.
0: And uh, she's a great story um, because she you know, took uh, eBay from a startup to $8 billion global powerhouse and you know, revolutionized the way that goods are bought and sold online. You know, matter of fact, when, when she uh, started uh, at eBay, um, it, it was the fastest-growing company in history. Faster than Microsoft, Dell, or you know, anything else uh, since then, you know, in these eight years, eight years that it grew. Um, Fortune twice named her the most powerful woman in business, and like you mentioned, now she's running uh, for governor in California, and it's going to be a pretty um, tight race. But I think what I what I liked about her is just her service orientation. And, you know, while she was at eBay, she would take calls. She was really, you know, always in front of people. Um, and one of the things she wrote a book called The Power of Many in 2010. And again, was one of the things that she's talking about. She says she writes, "I believe that Bill." Be- Being willing and able to actively listen is a vital skill for any leader. Not only is listening the right thing to do an antidote to arrogance, it also leads to all sorts of competitive advantages.
2: Well, we're going to pause on that note just for a minute. We're going to take a quick break. And you're listening to Leadership Development News, so come right back.
1: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
4: For free tips and downloads, visit Kathy's award-winning book site, WhatHappyWorkingMothersKnow.com. Or, for distinctive learning, practical solutions, and proven results for your business, visit Kathy Greenberg at H2CLeadership.com. That's H2CLeadership.com.
1: The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show.
2: Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're having an exciting conversation with Relly Nadler, who's usually my co-host on the show, but he's also the new author of a great book. On emotional intelligence and um, I wanted to c- kind of come back to something you just said really which resonates with me and, and my uh, kind of background with Warren Bennis who said the leaders of the future will be those who know how to ask the right questions mm. not those who have all the right answers right but my question for you is don't most managers and leaders already know how to lead
0: uh, they do but they really are missing
2: um, some
0: you know critical things You know, some of the research, Kathy, we always like to, you know, share research, Um, and this was surprising to me, that this is out of the Ken Blanchard, where they interviewed 1,400 leaders, and they asked them, what are the top five things that managers fail to do? Eighty-two percent of people said they don't provide appropriate feedback. Eighty-one percent said failing to listen and involve others in the process, 76 percent uh, said that leaders fail to set goals and objectives. Seventy-five percent said they fail to use an appropriate leadership style. And so um, one of the key people in the Blanchard Group who says it seems that many leaders out there do not have even the most basic critical leadership skills they need to do their job properly, and this is the bad news for business. So when I f- see this, Kathy, I think one of the things is it's not that people are consciously doing this that they just are not taking the time. In a lot of our shows, you know, we talk about how how to be in the moment, and the good news about emotional intelligence, you can learn this, and it doesn't take a lot of time. It's not like all day you have to sit there and say, okay, I'm going to be emotionally intelligent today and do it, you know, eight hours a day. It's in the interrelationships and the interactions with people that you you would demonstrate your emotional intelligence, understanding yourself and managing yourself, understanding others and managing others. So um, that is one of the key things as we move forward. Um, You know, how do we actualize our emotional intelligence?
2: Well, let me ask you this, because we talk about emotional intelligence as though it's an IQ and can be measured like an IQ. Why do you say, you know, uh, emotional intelligence is more important than anything else?
0: Well, this is just from some of the research uh, and I think almost in any organization, people will, will agree. As someone moves up the corporate ladder and you look at how smart they are and their technical expertise, often they're not doing their technical expertise anymore. So they've left what they have or trained in, they have certificates in. So that's one aspect. And intelligence is important, but depending on the research, it's anywhere from as high as a 20% factor of someone's success as low as a 4% factor, Kathy, in someone's success. And the research in emotional intelligence, depending on the study, saying that's the key factor, anywhere from 60 to 90%. The more you move up an organization, the more you need that. You're no longer doing the task. You're directing others. You're trying to motivate others. You're trying to hold people accountable. Um, You're dealing with complex situations. You're dealing with a lot of ambivalence. You have to manage yourself. You have to manage other people's emotions.
2: So tell me a little bit about I know you say that we can lose EQ points, like IQ points, and as much as 10 to 15% sometimes.
0: Well, so basically what, yeah, what I'm saying is that, uh, and you've seen this and I've seen it, that we can lose IQ points if you don't have good EQ. And so in the book we talk about kind of there's a ratio. You know, stress comes in to the work world, and we all have that. And it's really your emotional intelligence that's going to... Um, allow you to deal with stress in a good way. If you don't deal with it in a good way, you will lose your IQ points. And again, it's kind of a uh, moving target, but depending on the person, it's often 10 to 15 IQ points that they lose. Now, this would be, depending on the person, momentarily, in a, and it's around decision-making, and it's really because of a couple factors, Kathy. One is, every day in the organization, there's urgency. Every day in the organization, there is complexity. And every day in the organization, people are trying to focus strictly on what they need to do versus how do I help my teammate, how do I cooperate with others. So I say if you put those three in a mixer, urgency, <laughs> individual fi- individual focus, and complexity, what falls out time in and time out is chaos. And then when the chaos comes, the brain is getting hijacked and a lot of times in in our shows we talk about this what does that mean the amygdala has blood and oxygen in it and it's all the emotional piece the fight or flight or freeze and when blood and oxygen are in the amygdala less blood and oxygen are in the prefrontal cortex which basically is where the iq resides you know a rational logic um decision making, and so when somebody is emotionally aroused blood and oxygen are in the amygdala, less blood and oxygen are in the prefrontal cortex, we, we all say things like, oh, I wasn't thinking straight, oh, I don't know why I said that, or how could that come out of my mouth? We don't necessarily say, you know, I temporarily was down 10 IQ points, but I think that's what happens, and the reason I use that is I think that gets people's attention, because
2: Absolutely, absolutely, because I think one of the things that you've just described, which is hard for most people to envision, is the biological response our body has to complexity, to stress, Mm -hmm. to deadlines, and to just performing at our best every day. It takes a lot of effort for the body to keep up with us from a biological standpoint, even though we think we're doing a great job.
0: Well, one of the things, Kathy, along with what you're saying, I think that that was is new information for me, and, and talk a little bit about that in the book is a, the prefrontal cortex. Aside from all the IQ type functions that we talked about, it also has emotional regulation. So that part, if you're stressed, you know that you're late, you, someone says something in a meeting that you disagree with. Each time you repress that emotion, that's the prefrontal cortex, but It has a limited capacity. So it's like your braking system in a car, that if every time you put your brakes on, you had a little less brakes for the second time and a little less brakes for the third time. So one of the things I talk about is some of these outbursts. Like uh, in 2009, Serena Williams had an outburst when she was playing the U.S. Open. And it was at the end of the second set that she had a footfall and uh, it was called for it. And she got so upset that she sweared at the line judge and she was, you know, it was one point before losing the match. And because she got so upset, could not control herself anymore. And the idea from the brain was she expended her, she had no breaks left. She couldn't repress the emotion because it was the end of the second set, the first set. She probably had elation. She had frustration. She had irritation. Each time, putting the brakes on, putting the brakes on. And then she just lost it. We've all had that. She lost it at the end of the second set, swore, and the uh, the umpire um, basically gave her a penalty, and then because of the penalty, she lost the match.
2: It's amazing how these very small things make such a huge impact in our ability to be successful. So let me ask you, A little bit about some of these micro initiatives that you offer in the book that really make a big impact and and why they're so important.
0: Okay, thanks, Kathy. And you know, I know you have certain practices like I do. We both, um, you know, are really good about trying to take care of our health. And I think in organizations working with leaders, the first response people say, "Oh, that's interesting. I just don't have time." And so, trying to break this down into what I would call a micro-initiative. I like that term, and the people I deal with like it, but the only reason they like it has the term micro in it. It's not because of initiative. So what are the small things that you can do or that someone can do that can make a big difference? And so I'll give you a, you know, a couple examples. Um, so let's say you know, someone's having a, a difficulty uh, with performance and you're the leader. And, you know, the leader can take a couple seconds, and, and let's say the person's name is John. Hey, so, John, let's make sure we get it right this time, okay? You know, and that may take two seconds, and that may be kind of an average performer. The great leader, someone in the top 10%, that's the tipping point we're talking about, you know, is how do you get someone in the top 10% would, would first be aware that he's not getting it and would take the extra moments and say, you know, John, can we spend some time going over the next assignment together? You, know, you haven't really been performing like I know you can, and I want to help you. You've always been uh, meeting expectations, so tell me uh, what's going on here, and I'm sure we can come up with a plan that'll make a difference, you know, to you and it'll help for me. So taking that time, maybe that's a two or three minute conversation. That would be one one example. Mm-hmm. Another example, I think, uh, Kathy, you and I know just about trying to you know manage yourself, self management, and often people don't take breaks during the day. And we all know the executives who say, um, work, through, work through the morning break, work through lunch, go get some food, come to the computer and keep working. And someone who is stressed out and has that awareness, if they are able to say, you know, this lunchtime, I got so much going on, I need to take a break and I need to um, just get a change of pace go outside, go out to lunch, you know, come back, and they'll actually take that 45 minutes and they will end up um, getting more done. The first time I became aware of this, Kathy, was in uh, my orals as a psychologist and I had a whole bunch of things about Department of Labor. And I remember them a uh, study of who gets the most work done, you know, person A or person B. Person A is your typical type A uh, executive doesn't take breaks, works through lunch like I described. Person B takes a morning break, goes out at lunch, takes a break in the afternoon, checks in with their people, you know, focuses on their mood, and their outbasket, out-basket. Person B gets more done than person A. The reason is person A lost something and, lo- and loses 10 minutes trying to find something where person B was recharging. Um, They may have made a mistake, another five or ten minutes correcting the mistake where person B was recharging. So those are critical skills that would all fall under the self-management piece.
2: Now, I want to come back to one of the components about um, the the, the ability for people to know the distinctions between when they need these breaks, but we're going to take a quick break ourselves, and we'll be right back. This is Leadership Development News, so don't go away.
4: Practical solutions and proven results for your business, visit Kathy Greenberg at h2cleadership.com. That's h2cleadership.com.
3: Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic plays to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process Books and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066.
1: The business community's first choice in internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network.
2: we're having an insightful conversation with Relly Nadler, who, well, he's usually my co-host, but today he is our featured star of the show, talking about his new book, Leading with Emotional Intelligence, Hands-On Strategies for Building Confident and Collaborative Star Performers. Now, Relly, right before we went to the break, we were talking about the distinctions between really good leaders um, and leaders who are average performers, And one of the things that I heard that's really important, and I want to make sure our audience heard this as well, is how we know when we need to pay attention to our own personal needs Mm -hmm. and scheduling our energy and our resource called energy appropriately to manage our day. Could you just come back to that as part of the EI competency?
0: So that would fall under kind of the personal side of of, uh, emotional self-awareness, accurate self-assessment, uh emotional self control which is one under the self management you know and without that um, these outbursts that i mentioned with serena williams and we have other ones the, the person who yelled you know you lie to joe wilson is name to mm-hmm. president obama you know without that is an outburst waiting to happen and if the, if you have one of these outbursts it's an incredible it's the most prominent derailer in the book we talk about the derailleur detector. that's the most prominent derailer, is lack of self-control and so um kathy you're talking about how do you become aware of this right. stuff and it's emotional self-awareness there's a whole field of uh mindfulness of being in the moment you know and how do you be aware of what is going on for you so often i may have executives uh who this whole idea of emotional self-awareness is really challenging and let's say um People know what an audit is, especially when I deal with, you know, financial folks. They know what a financial audit is. One of the tools, you know, one of the 108 different tools in there, one is called the emotional audit. And so this one, I think, is really, really beneficial to help what you're saying, Kathy, you know, being aware of yourself. And we all know that when you're feeling a little tense, what do we hear people say? You should count to ten. And I think that's really good, you can probably count to 10, breathe like I'm doing now, but then ask yourself these five questions and the assumption is these five questions are going to highlight or activate the prefrontal cortex. So if you're getting triggered, you know, emotionally aroused, tense, irritable, ask yourself these five questions. And so the first one is, what am I thinking, and then I'll, I'll give you an example. What am I feeling is a second one. What do I want is a third one. Those questions is it's really getting data and in kind of turning on the light of the prefrontal cortex. Well, what am I thinking? You know, what am I feeling? Sometimes having to assess your body. What is it that I want? Which is really what am I trying to accomplish? And each one of these would would turn on a light in a different part of the brain, away from the amygdala. And then the fourth one is how am I getting in my way? And then the fifth one is what do I need to do differently? So I'll give you an example. I'm working with an executive who has uh, one, one of the issues is um, kind of a lack of impulse control, and the person is very, very clear you know, about that.
2: Could you tell people what lack of impulse control is? Yeah, it's someone
0: who um, he just says whatever comes to his mind, and that's what happens for him. You know, so he's not able to manage himself. And he has a really quick startup, so he gets aroused really quickly, and then it's also very intense, but it doesn't last long. So that's kind of emotional style, what I'm highlighting. But so uh, the president of the organization wanted his his group to do something. He immediately had a reaction to that, and he's thinking, you know, wait a second, this isn't right. Um, you know, this is going to be more work for us. His feeling was this isn't fair my people are going to be overworked, what is it that he wanted, you know, he wanted to be able to find out, you know, why his group is going to take on this new uh, piece of the work, and just that question, what do I want, and then he said, how am I getting in my way? Well, what he normally would do is kind of storm in and say, I disagree, and kind of make a big fanfare out of it, and, you know, and that can be detrimental to him and so he had to catch himself and the last question is what do i need to do differently he took a deep breath he thought a little bit about okay how do i do this i should address him in private i'm not going to do this in person and then you know let me think about you know what are some of my objections or what are some of the issues we have to deal with in in switching these new responsibilities to my team so he caught himself so the goal is to catch yourself quick and redirect it and these five questions the emotional audit what am i thinking what am i feeling what do i want how am I getting in my way? What do I do differently in those ten seconds when you, when you're counting, can help you move forward and have a more, you, you know, bring back your IQ points?
2: It's amazing, you know, that um, people don't learn this in business school, <laughs> <laughs> and it takes, you know, a certain, if you will, evolutionary process, a developmental process as a person to get to a point where you can even take this kind of feedback or read it and get it. Right, right. So let me ask you, what is this snapshot management, which is something I'm very interested in? Okay. Uh,
0: You know, in the book, and I think, Kathy, what you and I both try to do when we speak in front of groups, how do you say something that's a picture? You know, so I like to kind of talk in pictures. And the snapshot management is, I think, what happens in many organizations. And what it means is um, people aren't spending a lot of time necessarily thinking about you, the performer, but they they get a quick snapshot of you. And when do snapshots happen the most? And I think a lot of people aren't aware of that. It's probably in meetings. And so in a meeting, this person I may have described is shaking his head and saying, you know, we shouldn't do this, this isn't right, and people are taking a snapshot. They're going click, click, click. And the idea that in an organization, especially if someone's been there for a while, if three, four, five snapshots are the same, oh, this person, and you could easily say, oh, this person's a hothead, they're reactive. Well, it doesn't take long, you know, how many snapshots is it gonna take for someone to say, oh, that's that person. And so three or four snapshots that look the same becomes crystallized as how someone is. And I know, Kathy, you've probably seen this, I've been in organizations where I've been called in to, to coach, and I have to tell someone, or I'll, I'll put my hand up because it's, you know, the five fingers. And if, if four or five of these snapshots are the same,
2: right.
0: then I would say to the person, you've got an uphill battle, because that's how people know you. They're not studying you that hard to notice what's different. So, and I would ask the person as I put my hand up, how many of these snapshots are are positive for you? And this is someone I know who's already has some negative. And I say, well, how many are positive for you? And often they'll say, well, I don't know, two or three. And if they say two or three, I kind of know it's one or two that they're over-reporting, meaning they got three or four negative snapshots. So what happens if this person is great for two months, great for five months, great for seven months, and has another outburst in the meeting? Nobody knows seven months went went by that that person really controlled themselves, and all they say is, oh, there goes Harry again. It's the same snapshot. So this idea of snapshot management on two sides, one for the participant or the person I'm coaching or you're coaching, they have to realize what are my snapshots, and is, are they positive or negative. And then if if some are negative, they have to really work hard to change that. And they almost have to not have any of that same snapshot show up, I'd say, for, you know, 18 months or or two years.
2: So maybe one of the components that would support that, really, would be uh, getting some of your, uh, I want to say, team members to take a part in recognizing when you're doing what Uh you need to be doing well and get them to understand that you're trying to make a shift so that in the long run you have advocates helping you and saying, yeah, I've seen that, that that's shifted.
0: Yep, that's, that's perfect, Kathy, because that, that's the hard part is I would say, them first, you have to make a change, but no one really knows you made a change. So how do you, how do you promote that? And it's, it's easier getting team members, or sometimes it's the boss who made a need. Instead of the five snapshots, what's more accurate is a collage. It's a wall of pictures where the boss can say, you know, so-and-so has been working hard at this. You know, I haven't seen that behavior in three or four months. Nobody would know that unless the boss, you know, knows it and, and can promote that or, like you're saying, the team members can, can promote it.
2: Right. And sometimes, as we know, it's better if your friends toot your horn than your boss yeah. or you do, right? Yep. So tell me, in a little bit of time that we have left, yep. we can reach you at www.truenorthleadership.com. And you have another website?
0: Well, in the book, it has leadingwithei.com. dot com. So, um, if people buy the book, there's a lot of, of uh, free things. There's a the EI Star Profile, which is the self assessment. They can get that, and they can also get the derailleur detector, and then there's an action plan. So, if you go to the, if the and you get the book you uh can immediately get those as free downloads but then in addition there is uh three podcasts you know that we did a long time ago one's with uh Richard Boyatzis um another uh is with uh Marshall Goldsmith and there's a third one there's these podcasts that you can get so there's all these you know electronic downloads once you buy the book you can get all these kind of bonuses
2: wow so that's quite a value yeah That's amazing. And, um, you know, as as we're thinking about any advice for people who are thinking about taking on a plan or a program around emotional intelligence, what would you tell them? You know, there's a couple
0: different things that I would say that we're finishing up here. um, To become a star and then ideally someone uh, in the top 10%. One is to be very specific about first to give praise and acknowledgement to people, but to be very specific about it. So, I end up um, using this acronym of POWER, P-O-W-W, P-O-W-R-R. Point out what's right and what you want repeated. So if if someone can be very clear first acknowledging, but what's right and what do you want to see repeated, you should verbally say that. Second thing would be very clear about your delegations. Um, What do you want them to do? And then there's this delegation tool that has what's called the checkback. When should they come back? Often people may come back too soon, or they don't come back soon enough to check in. So the leader, it's the leader's responsibility to say, here's how far you can go and when to check back.
2: Well, that's outstanding. And I think one of the things we also want to leave our audience with is our new Excel program, Excellence in Coaching for Executive Leadership, where emotional engagement meets performance. rally thank you so much for the time you've spent with us today and for sharing leading with emotional intelligence, hands-on strategies for building confident and collaborative star performers. Thanks.
1: You've been listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers, with your hosts, Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We sincerely hope that you gained some great ideas and inspiration on how to elevate your leadership skills. Join us again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Business Channel.